Our scripture passage this morning is found in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Brothers and sisters, this is God's holy word. To the choir master, according to the Gatith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Well, thanks be to God for his word. Many of you at certain times during the year, you probably go on a trip to another location. Perhaps that's what you do during the summer break for for school-aged children. You go someplace else. And and we live in Linden, you here in Abbotsford, we live in a very beautiful area, a very, very, very beautiful part of God's world. But there are times throughout the year where it's nice to go someplace else. Maybe, maybe for that time, it's a better place. Maybe it's better for the weather there is nicer at a certain time of year. But maybe also, you have friends and family there. It makes it a better place because they are there. And so when we have these trips and we have these vacations, we plan for them. And as we plan for them, we get excited about them. We're ready to be at our destination. We can't wait to be there. And as we get older, even the wilderness journeys that we are on in this present evil age, we get tired. And we're longing for our true destination, our true home. And we desire more and more to know about our heavenly dwelling place. And we realize it's truly a better place in every sense of the word. They look forward to it. Well, we see the psalmist here, he's longing for the temple. He's longing for the temple, and he's trusting in his God. He's trusting in the Lord. And we too can trust in the Lord throughout our long journeys as we look forward to that true temple, our true home. And it's a true temple, a true home that has been secured for us by Jesus Christ. So before we look more deeply into Psalm 84, just a brief note about the author of this psalm, a few comments about him. It's attributed to the sons of Korah. Now you might recall where that name Korah comes in the Bible. We hear about it in Numbers 16. 
It's a time when Korah and his friends, Dathan and Abiram, go up to Moses and Aaron and say, why are you ministers over us? Why can't we share that responsibility? Why can't we have that place of privilege? So we call it Korah's rebellion. So the Lord showed who his ministers are. And you may remember what happened. The Lord opened up the earth, swallowed Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 people were gone in a moment as the earth opened up and swallowed them up. The Lord showed who his ministers were. But the sons of Korah were not among those who were swallowed up. We read about them in Numbers 26. They were not swallowed up with the 250. And later, the sons of Korah actually came to to work in the tabernacle and then the temple. They were gatekeepers, singers in the temple. We don't know exactly what generation of the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 84, but it probably was a little bit later in Israel's history, in Judah's history. Maybe even during the time of the exiles. We're not exactly sure. But regardless of when it was written, we have a wonderful psalm before us this morning. So we're going to consider this psalm under three points. And the first point is our true home. Second, our travel. Finally, our trust. So our true home, our travel, and our trust. And brothers and sisters, may you, Christian, find your trust in Christ. Through your pilgrimage that you are on in this life, as you too are looking forward, you're looking forward to your true eternal home. So let's think about that home. First, our true home. And that's how this psalm begins. These wonderful words, how lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely is your dwelling place. And even there, there's a few things that we can think about. The word that the psalmist uses for lovely, it's not used very often in the Old Testament, but when it is, it's usually translated as beloved. And it talks about people not things. So here the psalmist is saying that the dwelling place of the Lord is beloved. It's beloved. Now, of course, the temple of God, especially when it was built by Solomon, it was a lovely place to look at. One of the wonders of the ancient world, just on its aesthetic consideration. It was beautiful. But it was more personal for the psalmist. He wanted to be in the dwelling place of God because God was there. God identified with the temple. And even today, we don't go to a church simply because of its beauty or its loveliness. You're meeting at a gym. But why are you here? Because God has identified himself with this place at this time with these people. It's personal. We're here because God is here. And even when we think about our heavenly home, the eternal glory, why do we want to go there? Not just because of the sea of crystal or the streets that are lined with gold. We want to be there because that's where God is. The triune God is there. That's why we want to go to our eternal home. And so for the psalmist in Psalm 84, it's the dwelling place of the Lord. It's more than just a lovely place. It's the beloved place. Because the Lord of hosts is there. So the psalmist goes on in verse 2, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. He longs to be there. His desire is to be there. 
Now, I mentioned earlier that the sons of Korah, they had a role to fill in the tabernacle and later the temple. It was part of their family identity. This is what their family did, involved in the daily activities of the temple, the daily worship of God. But here at this point, wherever it was in redemptive history, the psalmist wasn't in the temple. He was away for it for, for whatever reason. So he had this desire, this deep longing to be there. And he says his soul faints, longs, yes, faints for the Lord. And this word has the idea of being finished, being done. There's nothing left. His tank is empty. He just longs to be in the house of the Lord. Yeah, he's singing for joy, but there's nothing left. And he knows even as he thinks about the temple that the swallows and the sparrows, these small animals, they can find a home there in the eaves and in the altar, just different places around the temple. The swallows and the sparrows are there. But he's not. He's not there. He's in the wilderness. He's longing to go back to the house of the Lord. And he knows once he gets there, he's going to find rest. He's going to find rest in God's house. So even during this wilderness journey, he's crying out to the Lord. He calls out to his God, Yahweh of hosts, my King and my God. Yeah, he's spent. His soul is fainting, but he knows the one true God, his King, his God, the creator, the sustainer of all things, is going to bring him. He's going to carry him along. That's why his heart and his flesh can sing for joy. Even while his soul and his body is just spent, he's trusting in his God. And brothers and sisters, in the midst of your journey, whatever they look like, there may be times when you are just utterly spent. You have nothing left in the tank. I pray you cry out to your God. You pray and find rest in your Lord. And your home is with Him. That's what verse 4 so beautifully expresses. We're blessed to dwell in God's house. And we're going to continually praise the Lord. If you think about rest for the Old Testament saints, there was a time when they didn't have rest. Indeed, the rest that God had promised them, they rejected it. Think about the wilderness journey. There they come up to the border, they send in the 12 spies, and they rejected God's promises. The rest was there, but they couldn't go into it. The author of Hebrews in chapters 3 and 4, he tells us that that wilderness generation failed to enter into that rest, and that rest is still being held out for God's people. Now, children, you perhaps hear in your house quite often that Sunday is a day of rest. It's not a day for normal work. It's a day filled for rest and for worship. And there's a reason for that. It's a picture of heaven. What we're doing right now is a picture of heaven. We're worshiping God, and we're also resting from our work in the world. That's what's going to happen in heaven. I remember driving to church one Sunday as a kid and our neighbor was out mowing his lawn. My dad commented as we were going to church, look how the Lord blessed us on Saturday so we could have a rest on Sunday and to go into God's house. 
Today was the day of rest. When we dwell in the house of the Lord, when we come and we sing his praise, God blesses us continually. But that's not the way the world thinks, is it? The world does not think of that. The world cannot even fathom that you are taking a day of earning normal income to come and to sit in a place to listen to a man preach and to sing some songs. The world doesn't understand that. But God is blessing us when we come into his house. You can't get the same blessing in the world. We need a day of rest. And we come in and we do it twice. Morning and the afternoon. And I pray that you do know the blessing of being here in God's house. Being here with your brothers and sisters, joining your voices together, singing praise to your God, but also hearing from Him as He declares His word to you. But we're not at our true home yet, are we? We're not there yet. We have true blessings here, and they are wonderful. But they pale in comparison to what we're going to have in glory. We're still pilgrims. We're still on our journey. And that's where the psalm takes us in our second point, our travel. After just stating in verse 4, those who dwell in the house of the Lord are blessed. In verses 5 through 7, the psalmist tells us that there's a journey. There's a path that you've got to go, and the Lord blesses that as well. Verse 5 speaks that the strength of the Lord is with those who are on their way. And that was good for the psalmist to think about, but it's also good for us to be reminded of as well. Who gives us the strength for the journey? God does. God gives it to us. The Lord God himself. Too often that we feel as if we have to go on our journey ourselves. It's our own strength. The pilgrimage is up to us to put one foot in front of the other. That's not what the psalm says. That's why it's important that you look back at verse 2. The psalmist had no strength left. He was utterly spent. There's nothing left. So how does he get the strength to keep moving? The only way, and we like him, can take one step forward is because the Lord is blessing us. The Lord is giving us the strength. I'm sure many of you know Christians whose lives have been hard. The hard providence of God just seems to continue to come upon those families or on those individuals. You know probably these people. And they'll tell you the only way that I can keep going is by God's grace. That's the only way. I'm utterly spent. My soul is on empty. But God's the one that keeps us going. God's the one that keeps me on that heavenly road at all. Because the world can't provide anything for that journey. All that the world can do is give us alternate routes. Get off the road and go this way. That's all the world can do. They want us to get off the highway, get off of the way to Zion. Instead of encouraging us on the way. They want to distract us. The world wants us to doubt that we're on the right road. But again, Christian, in whose strength are we on our journey? In the Lord God himself. In whose heart the Lord has put the desire to be with him. God has given us that. So God blesses us on our journey. Now, As I was reading Psalm 84, perhaps there were some verses that were familiar to you, and there's a few of those. But verse 6 is an utterly fascinating verse. I don't know if you've thought about it very much. 
Probably because we, we haven't, because it's actually kind of hard to translate. But in the context of a pilgrimage, it, it helps us as we think about that. And the psalmist begins in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca. Now, we're not sure exactly if this place name, the Valley of Baca, was actually a real valley that they would have traveled through, or maybe it's just a figurative term of a hard place to go, and maybe a place that's dry. And most likely, that's what the psalmist is thinking of, a place that's dry. And as they're on their journey, going through this valley, what does the psalmist say that they do? They make it a place of spring. I want you to consider with me that this means, or is talking about the faith of the pilgrim. The faith of the pilgrim. In the midst of a seemingly dry and tough valley to go through, they stop and they dig a well. What would you want to do in a dry valley? Get through it as fast as you can and get to the other side. But no, they pause and they dig a well. To pause and to dig a well would take a lot of energy, a lot of resources, and if you dug the well and there was nothing in it, it could be very dangerous. You could probably die. You'd expend all that energy for no return. But the pilgrim trusts in the Lord. He's going through this dry valley. He's going to stop. He's going to dig a well. He's going to make that dry valley a place of water and a place of life. But even more, the Lord blesses. Not only does he make it a pool, he just puts that whole valley into a place of springs. This almost goes on to say, the early rain covers it with pools. The Lord just blesses abundantly for his people. Brings down these rains and just covers the ground. What a blessing. So brothers and sisters, even in the midst of the circumstances and the situations that you are in, I don't know any of you personally, but if you're anything like my congregation, a lot of struggles, a lot of hardships. Your valley is very dry and very tough. And you may not think, well, how am I even going to survive? The Lord will bless. The Lord will provide. We're trusting in Him to give us what we need through the valley. Think about Hebrews 11, that hall of faith. God promises these things to these people that are mentioned there, but they don't actually see it yet. They were sojourners. They were trusting in the Lord as exiles. And Christian, you're, this, you're in the same position as the psalmist in Psalm 84 and those saints in Hebrews 11. We're in the same position. We're not at home, at least not our true eternal home. We're looking forward to that. But we're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in Him to bring us there. Even as our valley is really tough, God's going to bless us. Are you trusting the Lord for that? Are you trusting in the Lord so much so you're going to just pause and dig a well? Are you willing to do that, to dig a spiritual well in the midst of a, a hard journey? Trusting that the Lord's going to bring a fountain of His grace. Showers a blessing upon you. That's how we walk, isn't it? We're pilgrims, we're sojourners. We walk by faith, knowing the strength is in the Lord of hosts, our King and our God. He will bring us there. That's what the psalmist reminds us in verse 7. God's people go from strength to strength. When I think of that phrase, I think about like strongholds. 
cities or places that has a wall around them, someplace to, to go and be safe from the outside elements, from other people. The ancient Near East, to travel then, was a very difficult, very dangerous endeavor. When we think about a highway, what do you think of? Three or four lanes going to Vancouver, don't you? That's not at all what the highways were in the, in the Old Testament. They were just a road that went from one prominent place to another. And if you were there, it was a dangerous place because of thieves and robbers. They could come upon you at any point, especially at night. There's no shelter. You can't see them. And if you were traveling during that time, you probably had your provisions on you. Not just your, your bread and your, your wine and your water to get to the next place, but maybe you were a farmer, and as you were going to the town, you had all your goods that you were going to sell. You're probably traveling slow with all those goods, so the robbers could come and get you. If you were coming back home, you had all the money from selling your goods. It was a very dangerous way to travel. Thieves and robbers on the prowl along the highway. And children, maybe there's a place in Abbotsford, I don't know, that you just don't want to be there at night. You stay away from that place. We know what this is like. So in verse 7 of Psalm 84, the psalmist speaks of going from strength to strength. God's people were finding these places of security, place of comfort on their journeys. And brothers and sisters, we too go from strength to strength on our pilgrim journeys as well. In fact, we're in one of those places of strength right now. It's in God's house. We're at church. We're in God's house. We're in a place of strength, a place of safety. In many ways, we've been called off the road to come into God's house. Come and rest a while. Find here a place of strength. God calls us in. And God blesses us with the reign of his grace as we're fed spiritually. It's in this place as well that God gives us that which we need to go on in the next week for another seven days until we come back to another place of strength. See how God provides for us on our journey? Go from place from strength to strength? Perhaps you know people that are wandering from the faith. What's one of the first things that you do when you wander from the faith? You stop coming to church. You stop coming into the gathering where God has called us to come and to rest and be blessed and be served by God. They're not being fed. It's no wonder they wander away. And I pray that doesn't characterize you. You're here this morning. Praise the Lord. And know that it is in God's house that we take a step off of the highway for a rest, a much-needed rest. Children, I'm sure many of you have been on long road trips. And when you're on a wrong road trip, you need to think about places to rest. I'm assuming Canada is the same as the States, where you have rest areas every 50, 60, 100 miles or so. A place for you to pull over and rest on your journey. You need to do that. We need to do that for our spiritual journeys as well. Take a pause. Step off and rest. God has given us rest stops. They're called Sundays. I pray you're using that today. You're using this day as God intended it. To come and be fed and to rest and to hear about God's grace and blessing. It's going to be a tough week. We have seven more days till the next one. But God will bring us there. And how does verse 7 end? 
Each one appears before God in Zion. And that's key. The psalmist is thinking about the end. Those on the journey, they've arrived. They've arrived. God has brought them there. All the stops, all the struggles along the way, each one of God's people makes it to the end. It may appear to yourself as if you can't make it to the end. You're spent. You're empty. But who's giving you the strength to go from a place of strength to strength? It's God himself. God will bring you to your home in Zion, the city of God. You will appear before him. And by his grace, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Your journey's done. That's what the psalmist is thinking about in verse 7. Go to verses 8 to 9, the prayer of the psalmist. He prays that the Lord will hear this prayer. He'll be a shield over his people. He'll look upon them as his anointed ones. So where's his trust? His trust is in the Lord. And that brings us to our third and final point, our trust. Verse 10 of Psalm 84, this is probably one that most of you remember or think of, have heard before. You at least recognize it. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? It expresses this truth about where we truly want to be as God's anointed people. We don't want to be anywhere else but in the courts of our God. Perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker on the back of some cars, I'd rather be fishing. Our minivan says we'd rather be camping. Yes, we would love to do that, but we just can't do that all the time. We have jobs, we have callings to do as a family and as parents. We have other callings in life. What's the psalmist saying here, essentially? What would his car or bumper sticker would be? I'd rather be in church. What a fantastic thing to have on the back of our car. I'd rather be in church. I'd rather be in the house of my God. And for those who are struggling in their journeys in one way or the other, they will tell you that sometimes just coming to church is the hardest thing to do. But then upon reflection, they'll say, that was the best thing for me to do. Yes, it was hard for whatever reason, but I needed to be in God's house. For a day in God's courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. But how does that verse continue? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Remember who wrote this psalm? The sons of Korah. Do you remember what I said was their duty? What was their job in the temple? To be gatekeepers. Also to be singers, but also to be gatekeepers, the doorkeepers. So when we read verse 10, perhaps our minds are thinking of something, a fairly dignified position in the temple. To be a gatekeeper, open up the doors for people as they come in, and then as they are, leading them in singing. What a wonderful job. But the word that the psalmist actually uses here in verse 10 for gatekeeper or doorkeeper, he doesn't use the normal word. The word that's used is actually unique, and it means to lie like a beggar on the threshold. To lie like a beggar on the threshold. When the Septuagint translated this into Greek, they used the word for trash, something that's thrown aside. Changes the meaning of this text, doesn't it? Because upon initial reading, it looks as if the psalmist is asking for a job. Oh, I just want to be near the, near the house of God. Give me a job to do. Give me something. I'll open up doors. I'll do whatever you want. That's not what the psalmist actually says. I'd rather just be laying like a piece of trash outside the door than to be anywhere else. That's how much he loved being in the courts of God. 
Think like a trash laying at the, laying at the threshold. Because in his mind, what was the alternative? To dwell in the tents of wickedness. He had no desire to do that. He'd rather be sleeping outside the door than living in the tents of wickedness. Because when you live in the tents of wickedness, in the pagan world, you're living at peace with them. You're living in security with the pagan world. That holds no desire for the psalmist. And that shouldn't hold any desire for us either. It's good for us to be where the Lord is. And God is with us continually. The Lord provides for those who he brings to his house. The Lord provides for those who just come into his house. And sometimes I think we think we forget about that when we come into church. How many of us, when we come into church, we think, oh, God needs something from us. I'm going to sing really loud because God needs my praise. No, God doesn't need anything from us. We need everything from him. When we come into his house, he's coming to serve us. He serves us with the word. He serves us with the sacraments when those are administered. And how do we respond? Well, then we sing in response. We pray in response. But God serves you. As you come into his house, he's serving you. We're in the posture of receiving. That's what we need. We go from strength to strength. God is going to give us what we need. It's not up to us. We receive. And the most basic thing we receive is receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what gives us life. And God gives it to us freely. In Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out often to the Lord, give me life. And where does he find that life? Where is he crying out in Psalm 119? He gets it from God's word. Throughout that psalm, he's getting it from God's word. And we too, as we're on this side of the cross of Christ, we need that word that is shown to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we get our life. And I pray as you come even here this morning that you are getting your life and thinking about Christ, what God has done for you, how he blesses you, that your life is found in him. Not in the things of this world, not in the tents of wickedness, but in Christ, your God. Moving on to verse 11, it speaks of Yahweh being our sun and our shield. But he also gives us grace and glory. And more than that, he gives good things for those who walk uprightly. Well, that might sound like bad news, doesn't it? God will give good things. He will bless those who walk uprightly. That's not me. That's not me at all. I cannot receive anything from the Lord because of my wickedness. So we need to take a step back. Throughout this psalm, we've had the refrain, Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of hosts, Lord God of hosts. Back in Psalm 24, it speaks of those who can ascend God's holy hill. What do you need to ascend God's holy hill? Clean hands, pure heart. They receive blessing of the Lord. Again, it's not talking about us. We don't have those things in ourselves. But there is one who comes through the gates, into the gates of God's house, the King of glory. The very last verse of Psalm 24 says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory. And who is it speaking of? Speaking of Christ. He comes into God's house. The King of glory has come in. 
and he brings with him the train of his people. Because those people are identified in him. Christ had a clean hands. Christ has a pure heart. And he gives it to all of his people. Those who trusted him, as we heard earlier from Colossians 1, holy, blameless, and above reproach. So we can stand before the presence of God. And God looks upon us with favor and with blessing and grace. That's how we come into God's house. Walking uprightly, not in ourselves, but in Christ, yes. So God calls us to come. To come. The psalmist in Psalm 84, he's looking to the promised Messiah. Dimly, types and shadows. We can look back and see Christ who did these things for us. What a wonderful blessing. It's only Jesus Christ that in one day God's courts will be better than a thousand elsewhere. Because without the mediation of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't last a moment. <laughs> We'd be gone in a flash because of our sin and our wickedness. Question and answer 60 of the Catechism says, By God's sheer grace, He grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned or been a sinner. And as if I had been obedient as Christ has been obedient for me. Do you believe that for yourself? That's how we come into God's house. To what God grants us freely in Christ. We're in Christ walking uprightly. Blessed by the Father. It's because of what God has given to us in Christ. Whose strength are you in here this morning? Is it in your own strength? Are you here just because your parents dragged you along? You much would rather not be here? Whose strength are you here? Do you, do you come here just for the coffee and the treats afterwards? Or are you here because you know this is a place where God's going to meet you? Where God's going to come and give you what you need for your journey? Are you here because there's no better place for you to go? You're here in God's house. I pray that you are here because you're trusting in the Lord through your wilderness journey. And this is where the psalm leaves us in the final verse. O Lord of hosts, Yahweh of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. We don't trust in the Lord to be blessed. We trust in the Lord because he has already blessed us. He's blessed us with true faith in Christ. All good things come to us through him. You can't think about Hebrews 11, a hall of faith. What's the motivating factor for all those that are listed there? Their faith in God. They're trusting in Him. They don't see things yet. They're trusting in Him. It's a faith that in the midst of a dry valley pauses, stops, and digs a well. Trusting the Lord will bless according to His perfect sovereign plan. So where is your trust in your present evil age? What are you trusting in? Where's your hope? Is your hope in the Lord or the things of this world? If your hope is in anywhere but the triune God, then maybe even the words of Psalm 84. I pray the psalmist will cause you to understand there's no blessing except found in Jesus Christ. That's what the psalmist is pointing us to. Because our sin leaves us in the tents of wickedness, outside God's court. And as you heard earlier in Matthew 22, place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, cast out to the king's presence. The world cannot provide anything that we need. 
They say they will. They promise that they will. It's a grand deception. It's been going on since the beginning. It's only by the grace of God that we have a desire for someplace better. We have the mediator, Jesus Christ, to bring us there. So, brothers and sisters, I pray that your soul, like the soul of the psalmist, longs for the courts of the Lord. Your desire is to be with him. Because we recognize that this is not our true home. Yes, we have wonderful blessings now. Blessings of friends and family. But we don't have the full realization of them yet. Even here in church, we don't have the full realization of them. There's a journey we've got to go on first. And we're on that journey. Yeah, the journey can be tough. Utterly hard. But you go from strength to strength. As the Lord your God brings you through. As each one appears before God in Zion. He will bring you there. Yes, we're blessed by the Lord of hosts right now. But nothing compared to the glory of his temple for eternity. And that's not a temple we're just going to be there day in and day out. We're going to be there for eternity. All the time. And it's going to be even more glorious than the psalmist could even imagine, or we can imagine for that matter. And that's where the Lord's going to bring us at the end of time. The Lord is going to bring us there. And I pray that your soul longs for that. I pray that your soul is even spent, utterly spent, for the coming of the heavenly courts of our God. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, as we have been called off of the highways, off of the journeys, Lord, that we are all on, you have called us out of the world into your church. And Lord, may this be a place of strength for all those gathered here. And especially, Lord, those who decided not to come here this morning. Lord, those who willingly rejected the invitation to come. Lord, may they recognize that this is the place where they get strength, the place where they get rest. Cause them, Lord, for their hearts to yearn to be in your courts yet again next Lord's Day. And Lord, even as those who are gathered here, Lord, we do not know what tomorrow is going to bring, let alone the rest of this week. But Lord, may we know that in seven days we have another place to come and to be strengthened. A place, Lord, for us to get rest. A place for us, Lord, to pause and to dig our spiritual well. And it's found in Jesus Christ who has living water. And Lord, we pray that we'll all know that living water today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. In response, let us stand to sing.